being with me, please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, as we get into this great source of truth, hope, love, joy, as we already said, life. Open to John 15. There's copies of God's word in front of you. You can use those as well. As you're turning, allow me to set the stage to remind you where we've been and where we're going. In John chapter 15, Jesus is still talking to his disciples, his followers, those who have been following after him, learning from him. And specifically, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's speaking to those close, now 11. Again, I just want to point out, these are believers in Christ. This isn't an outreach message of the gospel. It's not a gospel presentation. The whole focus in John 15, which we're reading here today, is for believers. How shall thou live? If I was speaking in KJV terms, how are we as Christians to live in our everyday life now as followers of him? Judas has left the stage. Judas is left to betray Christ. And it's possible, depending on which, which direction one go, it's possible that they're still in that upper room. It's possible that they're still in the, that discourse there. And Jesus is still teaching, or, and what I believe, is they have left the room. And here's why. At the end of chapter 14, which we just ended last week, Jesus says, rise up, let us go from here. So depending on what you believe or, or what you, how you read into that, you could think, well, maybe Jesus says, rise up, let us go from here. But he still continues to talk a bit. Or maybe they truly do start going from there. Okay, how many times have I said, okay, in conclusion, or let us conclude now, and then I go on talking for another 10 minutes, right? How many times, deacons, have we been at a deacon meeting and we end, we say, all right, we're done, let's pray. But then we go in the hallway and we didn't quite leave the building yet. Maybe it's that scene. I believe, though, that what is happening here is they rose up. They departed, but as they're walking now, Jesus uses illustrations, visuals of what they're seeing as they walk. Now, maybe it's vineyards. We're talking about abiding today. We're talking about living in the vine. Maybe they see vineyards as they walk. Maybe they see vines growing on the buildings, or what most likely might be the case, they see engraved vines in the temple or in the city gate. Either way, all that, I mean, we can think about but it's not truly what matters. What matters is the lesson itself. How does one live in the vine, abide in Christ? The Bible, and Jesus especially in his stories, uses many analogies, many illustrations to help us understand what does the relationship with God look like. And today in talking about the vine, that's what he's doing. But in other parts of the Bible, we see God illustrated as a father, we are his children. We are members of the household. We see in other parts, God illustrated, painted as a king, and we are his subjects. We, saw, we see God illustrated as the creator, and naturally then we are the created. We see God illustrated as a shepherd, and we are the sheep. God is the builder, and we are the building. God is the master. We are the servants. God is the head. We are the body. You see, all of these things help us to understand our relationship to God. Where are we in all of this? And how should we be living? Well, today is a different analogy. 
Similarly, it helps us to see how are we to live. But as Jesus, the master storyteller, the master teacher that he is does, he uses an everyday object, which like said, they might have just passed by and seen. But what the, what the point is, it's something that they all understand. Now for us today, it might be easier for us to, to understand if it was in the terms of a garden. We don't grow too many vines. I believe Eric Peterson, wherever he has, he might have a little vineyard in his yard, some grapes, maybe some of you do. But a lot more of you probably have gardens where you grow tomatoes and cucumbers, zucchini. I've benefited from some of these. I don't know who you are, but thank you for bringing those zucchini in. I've got some great zucchini muffins because of it. With that, though, let's read from John 15. Starting at verse 1, it says this, and it'll be on the screen for you as well. I am the true vine. Now, again, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father... He is the vine dresser, also known as the caretaker or the gardener. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now in verse 3, already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And finally, verse 7 as we're going through eight today. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here what we just read is the final I am statement of Christ. In this we see the divinity of Christ on display. We see how he is connected to the Father and they are one. And we'll talk more about this in a little bit. But what we also see is this great illustration of not just the divinity of Christ, but how God in all of his divinity, Christ in all his divinity, connects with us, his people. What a great blessing it is to be abiding in Christ. But let's talk about this concept of abiding for a little bit, because I think this is one of the most important aspects of our faith. We must be abiding in him. You see, the word abide, and I hope I got this right, because I'm not an English teacher. I believe I have an English teacher in here. She'll correct me later. The word abide is a verb. Abiding, abiding is therefore an action. It means to continue to remain, to dwell, or to live. And because of that, we can therefore say to abide in Christ is to remain and or to continue in, to live and dwell in him, Christ, always. She's laughing. Did I get it right? Thank you. Abiding. It's an action. It's something we must be doing with action, but abiding isn't something we do for a time either. It's something we continually do. So when Jesus is telling his disciples and us today through his word that we must be abide to abide in him, we must be abiding not just for today, not just in him, in his ways, in his grace, in his salvation, in his power now, 
but forever. Always. For he is always giving. He is always blessing. I love this illustration of the vine because as the vine gives sap, gives nutrients to the branches, Christ continues at all times to continue to give the nutrients that we need to live. And not just for today, but in God's word we see forever he has a place reserved for us with him and the Father in heaven. In heaven, Forever, as we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, forever the Holy Spirit is with us. He does not depart us. Christ does not leave us as orphans. He will not leave our side, we read last week. What a great comfort that is to be reminded of. Speaking of abiding, there's good reason for Jesus' lesson here. We must abide in him because the fruit of abiding are great blessings to our life. So I have four quick points for you. I'm going to work through really quick. These aren't the points of the sermon. These are opening points to illustrate how important it is to be abiding in Christ. And we're going to glean these. We're going to extract these. We're going to take these right from the scripture, except for the last one, which is related. Number one is this. Abiding in Christ It directly affects one's life, ministry, and work. And we see this in verse 5 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you got a word in front of you, you can underline this. It says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Next, number two is this. Abiding in Christ or the lack of directly affects one's eternal life. And at verse 7, Jesus proclaims, if you abide in me, if, I circled that, I underlined it, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. You see, there's judgment There's judgment. Now, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And with that, we have that third point, that third opening point. Abiding in Christ directly affects our quality of relationship and communication with God. For it is through abiding in Christ that we're given the Holy Spirit through Christ and through this that our prayers are heard and that he answers our prayers as we're seeking his will and to do his work. And finally, that number four, and I said we're not focusing on these long because I want to keep moving, is this. Number four, like the others, comes from 1 John 3, 6, though. 1 John 3, 6, if you're taking notes. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And from this we see abiding in Christ directly affects our walk with God. For once we, again, I say, through Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And through this great Holy Spirit, he helps guide our path, our walk. He helps remind us of the truth. He helps remind us of the righteousness of which is to be found in Christ. And not just that, through the Holy Spirit, we're being sanctified. Now, that's a fancy word that I need to remember to explain. Sanctified. It means God, in all his grace, 
in all his love. He did not look down upon us and decide, I'm just going to leave them as they are in all their faults and all their weaknesses. I'm going to make them more like Jesus, more like my son. The Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus. And as he does this, it affects our walk with God. We are not devoted to lives of sinfulness. We're devoted to lives of righteousness. That's powerful. Now, are we still going to sin? Are we still going to struggle? Yes, for we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies and we have struggles. But as God continues to prune us, more on this later, we continue to be strengthened with more and more of him to do more for him. Let's move forward here. The abiding relationship that Jesus had with the Father is what energizes and defines Jesus' ministry. And similarly, similarly, abiding in Christ energizes us and defines the ministry he does in and through us. And speaking of the defining ministry of which Christ had through the abiding in the Father, we read in John 10, 37 to 38, where Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders, and he talks about how he abides in the Father. He says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe in the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And when you see what's happening here, Jesus is saying, even if you don't believe me by my word, you can see how I abide in the Father and do his works through the works which are being done. When Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, and we just read this last week, he, Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. You see, people could see Christ's relationship with the Father through the works which he did. And similarly, how much more should people be able to see us working in Christ, Christ working in us? I wrote down, Jesus had an intimate and abiding relationship with the Father. And if this relationship was necessary for his ministry to energize him to do his work, how much more is it needed for us to have an intimate and abiding relationship with Jesus in order that we might also be fruitful and effective, living not for ourselves, but living for him, living for him. And this is actually Jesus's prayer for us. In John 17, 20, Jesus says, I wrote it down here, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I was reminded by somebody in here this morning, I thank you, as I was mainly focusing on a relationship with God, abiding in Christ, and how that connects us to the Father, but I was also reminded, as being connected to the vine, we're also connected together. And what a great strength that is as we all work together for Christ, for God. Going back to our text, Jesus says, that just as a branch needs to be vitally connected to the vine. I use that word vitally. So believers need to be vitally connected 
to him. You see, all vitality, all, it, it's what vitally provides for us life to the fullest. To continue on truly living, but not just living for today, living for eternity. That's only, that's only given to us through that true vine, us being the branches connected to the true vine, which is Christ. I wrote down, we must be receiving the sap of life, true life. And that true life comes from him and him alone. Just as Jesus could do nothing outside the Father's will, we can do nothing on our own. We need this vital connection. The vital connection teaches us how to live in not our own strength, thinking of ourselves as our own gods, but in understanding that it's, in, it's within his strength that we live and thrive. Live and thrive. Wow. I think to myself just now about some of you guys who are gardener, gardeners. Do you remember miracle Grow? Anybody ever use miracle Grow? If you are a true good gardener, maybe you don't need it. But I remember gardening when I was a kid, and my dad had a big stash of miracle Grow. And you see... If you didn't mix it just right, it might not help at all. But if you mix it right, that miracle grow goes into that soil and gets sucked up by the roots and helps that plant to truly thrive, getting the true nutrients which it needs. That is Christ for us. Us being the branches connected to the true vine, Christ is the miracle grow. And God is the one that pours it in the soil. Let's move forward here. Through being a branch tapped into the true vine, which is Christ, we tap into his protection, his strength, his guidance, his companionship. But I don't think that we truly use these things as we should because so often we preach about them on Sunday or we read about them in our daily quiet times, but then when those struggles of life truly come, we don't actually pray those words, God, may you be my companion through this time of loneliness. God, may you be my guidance in this time of uncertainty. God, may you be my strength. May you be my protection. May you give me life. You see, abiding in Christ is crucial and it's greatly beneficial to the believer. But let's move on once again. The first two verses of John show us our two greatest important aspects about abiding in the relationship we need to know. Number one is, and as we've already started talking about, Jesus is the vine, the true vine. In verse 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now I want to talk just briefly about why is he using this illustration of a vine. I said in one way, it's it could just be because this is what he sees. And oh, wow, look at that vine. Let's talk about how that can relate to our life. But it's not just that. It also had great historical value as well. As Israel, <clears throat> to Israel and God's people. And as a representation of what Israel was. A vine connected to God. Speaking of the vine, Psalm 80 verse 8 says, <clears throat> Excuse me. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. It's God's people being described here. But this continues in verses 14 to 16 of Psalm 80 and says, Turn again, O God of hope, host, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. 
They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish and rebuke at your face. The psalmist said something here that is greatly disturbing. He says that the vine has been cut down and burned with fire. But why? Well, I think Jesus helps us to understand this as we read John 15. And he says, Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. You see, Israel was bearing no fruit. And it was like a branch that, which doesn't bear fruit, is cast down, taken out, burned, destroyed. In fact, Hosea, the prophet Hosea, speaking of Israel and in Hosea 10.1, and I like this translation. I don't, I, I don't refer it to it too often, but I like how this translation puts this. The KJV in Hosea 10.1 says, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. So it's not that Israel was just not bringing forth any fruit. It's that the fruit wasn't for God. It was for themselves. In other words, they lived their lives for themselves instead of for God. It was what the prophet Isaiah would talk about later, being not good fruit, but using the words instead produce wild or poisonous fruit. You see, to God, if we're looking to produce fruit only for ourselves and not to glorify God with our lives, but instead glorify ourselves with our lives, that fruit is as if it is poison because it continues to damage us and anybody else who takes it in. It's not the miracle grow. It's the weed and grass killer that kills all things. And depending on who you listen to, causes cancer. Let's move forward. John 15, back to the scripture. Jesus now uses this vine symbol for Israel and uses it for himself instead. He says, I am the vine. But he doesn't just say, I am the vine as maybe talking of Israel, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus, in essence, is saying, to have an effective, fruitful, and eternal life, our connectedness is no longer in association with a religion or denomination, but in Christ, in Christ alone. All privileges, all blessings, all teachings, they come through Christ, through Christ alone. Now, what I'm saying to you isn't that you don't need to be here. I'm appreciative that you're here and listening to me preach God's word. I'm appreciative to worship beside you. I'm appreciative to pray beside you. I'm appreciative that we convict each other, we encourage one another, we teach one another in so many ways. And I do believe God commands us and greatly instructs us of the great value of fellowshipping with one another. But what we must recognize is that it's through Christ alone that life is brought to us. True life. For he is the true vine, which gives you that miracle grow of life, which no one else could bring to you. Christ is the vine. He is the true vine. And in saying that he's the true vine, he's also saying that he is the genuine vine, which also means there are many false vines of which people might try to connect to. There's many counterfeits of which people think they're receiving the nutrients they need for hope and life and happiness but it's only temporary. What are some false vines which people might connect to today? Well, I wrote down a false, living, 
false life-giving vine might be money. It might be success. It might be friends. It might be their popularity. Or it might be addictions. And you can continue on to list those. What are false things which people look to? Which makes them think, I have all I need in life to grow and be happy. To be joyful. But it's not something which lasts. For only the life-giving sap which Christ provides, as being a branch connected to him as the true vine, truly provides for us forever. Jesus is not just a vine. He's just not just a provider. He's not just a bread of life or a light of the world. He's just not a gate or a good shepherd. He is the true vine, the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd. This means there's no one like him. There is no one like our Lord. He alone provides redemption and peace with the Father. He alone is unique and special and important to provide the life-saving grace that we need. He alone connects us to the Father, and that's point two, the Father. Let's talk about the Father and what he does for us. Verse 15, 1 continues on, not just to say Jesus is the true vine, but that my Father, God in heaven, he is the vine dresser. He is the gardener. He is the caretaker. He is the one that is working on that vine and through that vine to give that vine all it needs to work in us. No longer are the religious leaders of the day in this capacity teaching or caretaking for God's people. Christ himself is caring for them. And Jesus points out that through him as the true vine, the branches, the true Christ followers, we're now connected to God directly. Let's talk about the Father's rule. The Father here is cutting, pruning, caring for the vine and branches, but not as I often care for branches, ripping them out. He gently, knowledgeably cuts only what needs to cut, be cut. Oh, how many times I've gone and I, I tell people, I hate pruning trees or trimming hedges or bushes because a lot more gets cut out than what really needs to get cut out. But God being the caretaker, he only takes what's needed. He's looking out for the best interest and growth of the branches which truly are alive. And in order to do this, he takes out what is dead so that what is still living and bearing fruit can bear more or better fruit. Because then these dead branches, they're not blocking the way for the nutrients to get to the live ones. The vine dresser, he's not there to hurt or kill the plant, but to help it grow healthy and produce better. I fear I don't hurt the bushes here at the church by trimming it. But we know God, the Father, being the ultimate gardener, vine dresser, caretaker, he only takes what's needed to help us grow the best. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And in this, we see the first of a two-part process of which the vine dresser takes to tend to his vineyard. First, he takes away. He brings out the dead. And as he takes away, it's an idea of not just gently, but forcibly removing, cutting ties completely so that it doesn't get in the way any longer. This is important for him to do for our growth. Now, this verse also shows us two types of disciples. 
Now, this is where people can spend great lengths of time in, and I'm not going to spend great lengths of time analyzing this. I'm going to give you my belief. There are different beliefs as to what is this describing. But I don't believe this is a doctrine here which we're to focus on and argue on greatly upon, well, is this talking about non-believers and believers or just believers that maybe walked away for a little time, he's taken them away from his blessings, his benefits until he comes back? I believe the main focus here and what we should focus on is how do we as believers live? But I will give you my take on this. I believe there's two types of disciples here. One which is not fruitful and one which is. The one which is not fruitful is not alive in him. Now, I still use the word disciple, though, and here's why. Because Judas Iscariot, Judas was known as a disciple of Christ. But he was one which claimed to follow Christ, but he does not truly follow him all the way. He doesn't carry out the life of Christ. He ultimately betrays Jesus. He ultimately does it out of his own selfish desires. You see, I think this first type of disciple, it may be those who are living near Jesus, but they're not truly living in Jesus. And it causes me to say, we should evaluate our lives. Are we living for Jesus, in Jesus, or just selfishly for what he can give us? Are we living for his glory or our own? As one pastor wrote, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, or are you just sucking up the fillings of God's grace and mercy without giving anything back, without truly receiving him as your all in all? Are you a sucker shoot, or are you a branch bearing fruit? Are you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 tells us that if we are connected to Christ, if we are connected to the true vine as believers, as followers of him, we have this fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know about you. I hope that this is an encouragement to you. Because as I was reading this, and as I was writing this, and as I was praying over this, I thought, Lord, thank you. I have these. I might not always have these. I might struggle with these at times. But I see these things in my life, and this, this helps show me the evidence of my salvation and the fruit that you bless me with. I hope others see it too. I hope that you, as you read this, can think, Lord, thank you, for I see the love the fruit of love in my life. I see the fruit of joy in my life. I see the fruit of peace in my life, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I said this is a two-part process here for the vine dresser. The second part is he prunes the fruitful branches. The words of Jesus in verse 2 continue saying, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be mere, may bear more fruit. You may be thinking that there isn't a whole lot of fruit on your branch. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're feeling weak. But the point is, there is fruit. And God doesn't always bless us with having more fruit. Sometimes he just gives us a better fruit, a stronger fruit, a bigger fruit. A true disciple, though, should have fruit, evidence of their life being in Christ, abiding in him. And the father, like a vine dresser, then he prunes you back 
to continue to bear fruit and to be, bear more or better. You see, the Father's work in our lives is to find a branch that is beginning to bear fruit, beginning to produce the likeness of Christ, and then to cut it back. He trims off the troublesome shoots so that we may bear more fruit. Sometimes that's, in, that's trimming off invasive plants which have attached themselves and are sucking the life out of us. You see, to prune, it means to make clean. And so in pruning us, God is cleansing us from all unrighteousness of which stops us from bearing the fruit that God desires. But hear this, as he prunes away that bad, it's not for the purpose of hurting you. It's for the purpose of growing you and in making you better, stronger, more life-providing, more life on display, his life. It doesn't also mean that we've lost fellowship with him and are no longer part of God's family. It's quite the opposite. It's to show how God loves you as family. And he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to be stronger. Wrote down an illustration here. It says, a child who disobeys their parents... Anybody there ever disobeyed your parents? I greatly have. Listen to this. A child who disobeys their parents running outside in the rain and getting all muddy doesn't lose their family name, but they aren't immediately invited to the dinner room to partake of dinner either. They have to be cleaned up and put on some fresh, clean clothes. That's what God does with us. He helps us to put on clean clothes. The cleansing process, God's pruning process, it's not always easy. It sometimes hurts, but he's cleansing our life from the bad things which are taking away from our fruit-bearing power and helping us to grow stronger in him. Hear this. It's not that God forces or causes these trials either. I want you to hear this. I don't believe God causes the trials, the afflictions, the struggles. I believe that's just the fact that we're living in a fallen, sinful world. But God will use them for his glory and the betterment of his kingdom and his people. God will use it to train us and to show his love. The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We shouldn't look upon sufferings as a fact that God doesn't love us, but we should look upon sufferings and see how God continues to provide for us, to teach us, to care for us through those sufferings as proof that he loves us greatly. He loves you greatly. And the key to an abiding relationship with God is through staying connected to Jesus. In verse 3, we see how we maintain this relationship. He says, already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What Jesus is saying here is that a great part of the pruning process of what God does to us is through his word. I shared earlier a, a quote. I said, like a mirror, the word of God reveals problems, James 1.23. And like a knife, the word of God cuts to the heart. One big question to ask yourselves then is, are you in the word of God? And I want to be very careful here to say, and I know you guys... You're here, and that's great. I love having you here. I've said that. Thank you. Thank you for worshiping with me. Thank you for studying God's word with me. Thank you for praying with me. But just being in a sermon is not being in the word of God. 
We must be in the word of God consistently, continually, having that daily quiet time where we can truly reflect and meditate upon the word. And as we meditate upon the word, we look upon the word like a mirror to reveal what does the life of Christ look like? What do I look like? How am I changing to be more like him or what's keeping me from changing? to be more like him. And then use the word like a knife to cut to the heart and to edify your life. Are you looking to the word like a mirror? Are you using the word like a knife to cut away the bad? God wants to remove the bad, troublesome shoots from our life. And as hard as it is to hear, sometimes that's things which we very much enjoy. And it's, it's hard to even say, but sometimes that's a friendship which we greatly value, but it's drawing us away from God. Sometimes it's a hobby that we greatly value, but we're spending so much time on the hobby that we're neglecting the things of God. Sometimes it's a whole lifestyle that he calls us to leave and devote our lives to him instead with all we are. But we must see through all these things is to help us to be fruitful for him and not ourselves. How do we be fruitful? Before I work to close here, I just want to share some steps here. What does a fruitful life look like? I wish I wrote, would have wrote these on the board. I'll try and say them slowly if you want to write them down. What does a fruitful life look like? Number one, it's a life patterned after Jesus. Is your life patterned after Jesus? It's the continual praise of God in all situations. Are you continually looking to praise him? That's convicting because it's not always easy, is it? But it's easier when you're in his word to see how he continues to care for you. Serving through, those, through love those in need. A fruitful life will be continually serving those in need. It will be done out of love. Number four, bringing people to Jesus. That's a fruit. Uh, that's an evidence of your faith, that you value your faith so much that you want to share that faith with others and bring them to Jesus also. Number five, your continued service to him and his teachings. For true believers obey him. True believers obey him. And number six, living with pleasing God in mind. That's a fruit. That's a fruit. As we continue to stay connected to the vine and Christ continues to pour into us life and the Holy Spirit continues then to work within us, we should continually, more with each day, want to live with pleasing him in mind. Let's work to conclude. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 15, verse 10, and we didn't read it, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus sets the example for us for living. Abide in him. Obey his commandments. Live and abide in his love. Jesus calls his followers friends, and he died for his friends. And he says to us later in 15:14, if you're his friends, you will obey him. You obey his commands. You obey his way of life, righteous life. The Christian life is 
a life of following instructions, and the instructions here are clearer to live by. Are we following his instructions? That's what a friend of, that's what a friend of God does. They listen and obey him. But Jesus knew this would be hard, so he breaks it down to one all-inclusive commandment in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. He says, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it, saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On all these commandments depend all the, law, the love, the law and the prophets. You see, in loving God and others, we maintain this abiding relationship. In loving God and others, we're energized to do his work and to do his ministry. And, see this, the key to abiding in Christ is that out of our love for him, we obey his word. And when we do, we'll become more fruitful in all things and in all ways, having more effective lives. But there's a bonus here. There's a great bonus. For the more we obey him, the more we live in him, the more we're, we're displaying this fruit and living in this fruit, the more joyful we'll also live. Because joy is not based upon some temporary thing happening within us. The joy we have is a gift of the Spirit, a fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit never leaves. We have this great bonus, but all this is possible only through living in Christ, only through abiding in Him. So I challenge you with this as we, as the final challenge as we go to prayer. How will you love God and others this week? How will you show kindness to all? And that is God first, then others. Keep, keep things in perspective. Do your relationships with others reflect your relationship with him? I want to say that again because I think that's really important for us to look to. Do our relationships with others reflect our relationship with him? In our relationships with others, do they see Jesus? I want you to talk about this as you go. Maybe it's around lunch table. Maybe it's, maybe it's as you're in the car. Maybe it's as, as you're at the park today. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to go grab some Subway and enjoy some lunch with friends. And as we do that, I think we should have that talk. What do we do this week? How do we live just a little bit differently so people can see Christ in us? So they can see that we are connected to the true vine. And through the true vine, we have all we need. Let's close in prayer and song now. Thank you for being here. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you that through him being connected to the vine, we have a great source of truth in life, love, joy, hope, and so much more. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, which can never be taken away, but we do at times neglect to remember what we have as we get so focused on the things in front of us instead of the great thing which controls us, and that's you. Thank you for continuing to prune us and to care for us, Lord, not letting us die, but letting us flourish and thrive in you. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Yeah, let's stand, let's close and tell God that. How much we love you. Is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. 
Jesus, he loves you. Amen. He loves you. Praise God. Do you need somebody to pray with today? I've prayed with a number of you before service. I just want to say, as you go, if you need somebody to pray with or praise God with, come up here. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us.